Paul to the Movie Guys. Paul Preston here with you for another TMG interview. Joining us today, Belly made another movie. Frequent guest, buddy of ours, collaborator uh, with the movie guys and director of films like Favor and Official Rejection. He's back with a new motion picture, a thriller called Cruel Hearts, coming to VOD Blu-ray and select theaters on February 11th. Thanks to Gravitas Ventures. I want to find out how that happened. That's cool. He is joined by one of his lead actors who plays Burt Walker in the film. It is uh, Paul Osborne and Patrick Day! Oh, hippo. And, uh, yeah, Paul Osborne, once again, the mayor of movies, as we always call you. <laughs> really the mayor of the Phoenix Film Festival, for sure. Oh, yes. And then we're working on broadening you out to mayor of movies. Well, you know, this general. this year at the Phoenix Film Festival, uh, they're doing a retrospective like weekend for the 20-year anniversary. And the second weekend they're doing, it's all like a, an alumni weekend. And they're going to play Ten Till Noon, the film that I wrote, and it's Scott Storm directed. Yeah, so, I saw Gary King post something about that too. He's they're going to show his old film. Yeah, so that's cool. Uh, yeah, Gary. So Gary King. So I talked to Jason, who runs the festival, and I said, you know, I was going to come out weekend one because that's when they have like the competition films, all the big parties. But I can't come out weekend two. He's like, well, you got to come out weekend two. You're a big part of the history. It's all the things. I said, okay. Well, if can I bring like the hundred copies of Official Rejection I have in my garage that I can't get rid of? And <laughs> I think he gave <laughs> them twenty five of them. Give them away at the. He's like, that'd be great. I go, you know, Gary King came to my house and dropped off fifty Blu-rays of How to Write a Joe Sherman song. I went, they're yours now, Dick, and left. <laughs> can I bring those too and sell them? And so then Gary's going to be there. So I, Well, know. that's cool. 20, 25 years, you said? No. How 20 long? years. 20, 20 years. years of yeah, it started, it started in 2000, so it's the 2020. They've been doing retrospective uh, or throwback screenings for the last couple of years to celebrate this coming anniversary. Like last year, Favor played there. Um, the year before, another film that we, I think Mark Solros movie played there. So, um, But now they're doing like a whole weekend with, they're going to run uh, Pig starring Patrick Fabian there. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, former guest of the show. Yeah, uh, Cruel Hearts played there, correct? Yeah, this right. la uh, last year. Nice. Uh, we mentioned Burt Walker, and everyone went, who? Exactly. So let's change that. Yes. Let's, let's <laughs> fill everyone in on who Burt Walker is. And uh, if you've seen Favor, you know there's something wrong with Paul Osborne, and that hasn't changed with Cruel Hearts. It's another sick story of seedy people. So please tell us what it's about. Uh, Cruel Hearts is a film noir where a guy finds out he's woman he's sleeping with is actually, uh, she's actually married, but not only is she married, she's married to that guy. She's married to a scary mobster, and suddenly he's thrust into the middle of this dangerous love triangle he had really no no desire to be a part of. So he decides to get ahead of this train wreck before it happens, and go tell the mobster that he's um, that he's been sleeping with his wife and beg for forgiveness. Like, I didn't know she was married, and blah, blah, blah. And the two sort of form this dangerous friendship. The idea was to take sort of the, the traditional film noir love triangle where you have like, you know, the the successful but dangerous guy and you have the wife who's a little too pretty for him and then you have like her young hapless no lover. Yeah, I'm right here, man. I'm right, right here. Um, nothing is you. But he's, he's, he's not that wrong. Pretty. She's that pretty. She is that pretty. And then, uh, and, then uh, and her young lover, but usually the motivation of the young lover is he's sort of duped into it and oh, I'll kill him. And I was like, well, what if the motivation was different? What if he's like, I don't want any part of this shit. Yeah. As soon as he finds out, I want out. And so that was sort of the impetus to, 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 for the film. I love that you said get ahead because that, my favorite TV shows involve characters who got to get ahead of things, trouble oh. they've gotten into. The Shield, first of all. Oh, Every episode oh, was, my. I got to get ahead of whatever the hell. Oh my God. Ozark, same thing. It, it, 
Bateman says that once an episode, he's leaving, he's got his keys, Laura, where are you going? I got to get ahead of the thing I did with the guy over the, 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 you know, because somebody said something and it wasn't in the plan. Right, they, they, right, I right, told them right. that, that they didn't do it and they got Breaking Bad, same. Every oh, week they got to get ahead of, of the trouble they've gotten themselves yeah. into. And that certainly happens here. It unfolds throughout the course of the whole uh, film. And it's Cruel Hearts. It's Marriage Story um, with even more complicated relationships. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, here's a little clip from the teaser. In movies, in the spaceship or the villain's lair, there's always this auto self-destruct switch, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah. Okay. People have those. Every single person has a self-destruct switch. What's happening here is entirely a consequence of your actions. When you betray someone, there is a consequence. There is a cost. What you've done can't just be forgiven, and it can't be undone. Oh, everyone has a self-destruct switch. Uh, so Paul was mouthing along with the lights. <laughs> I, I think so you've seen trailer. that before. Yeah, but you cut yeah. it up, so I, it threw me off a little bit. I, I did, like, yeah. Oh, no, it was, yeah. but it was seamless. It was good. Did you did you cut the trailer, though, too? Is it that uh, indie, yeah. or did you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, of course, I cut the trailer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, find what you love, let it kill you. That's the uh, <laughs> that's the charming, uh, you know, welcoming catchphrase of the film or well, it's, tagline. Yeah, it's not so, as... Um, explain. It's not as... Uh, as uh, well, it's a... Yeah, it's a um, it's a, um, I'm thinking William S. Burroughs. That's not the guy. It's Bukowski. It's a Bukowski oh. quote. Find what you love and let okay. it kill you. And uh, so I was paraphrasing that quote. We were looking for a marketing hook because with our last film, Favor, which also starred this this guy, Favor is based on the idea of, you know, a, a good friend helps you move, but a really good friend helps you move a body. That's a really catchy, easy idea to understand. And our poster, exactly. If you show the back of your shirt, yes, I will. It's, it's <laughs> the little cartoons of the guy holding the couch, the two guys holding the body. Yeah. Very easy. This is like, there's a guy, he finds out the woman he sleeps It's like much more murky. So <laughs> had to go to Bukowski. Find what you love and let it kill you. We're like, I think at some point. To simplify things. It, it's funny. Right. The, act, for that. the actor that plays the young, the young dupe, um, Alev Aiden, he's a very uh, intense and very like you know learned guy, very very literate. And I, I, I showed him that poster. He's like, oh yeah, it's like the Bukowski thing. I'm like, yeah, exactly. It's not like the Bukowski it thing. It is. Yeah. Literally, I just watched Barfly like, a, like an hour earlier. I went, ah. Cruel Hearts. Yeah. To all my friends. Yeah, that could have been the name of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's an, an original macho energy. <laughs> Why'd it have to be Eddie? Frank Stallone's finest hour. Oh, my God. Um, but the other line is in the press release, what today's independent cinema is all about. Now, well, I, I know that's, but that goes to the heart of everything you do as a filmmaker, right? I guess. Like, you, you, we've had conversations. You're not the biggest <laughs> fan of, like, the franchise era that we're in. Uh, no, yeah. I mean, they're not, they're not, I, I'll do the Scorsese thing, they're not for me. Correct. You know, um, I'm not sure who they're for, but people go see them. I, I It's funny, Tarantino talks about TV in public. I really consider them, I don't consider them rides, or like, they're television. Did he call it TV in public? Well, no, Tarantino talks about, like, digital technology. It's like TV in public. And I'm like, well, no, I'm not really, but but th these are. I mean, I, 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 know, I, can, I like to compare the franchise films, especially the ones where they just, like, the Marvel ones are like the A-Team. You know, I loved the A-Team when I was 15 years old. The A-Team, every week, it's these the, the, the really well cast characters come up and say goofy things and their their characters bounce off each other. They shoot about ten thousand bullets. And then and really nobody dies. Nobody and then, dies. And then cars <laughs> flip. There's no stakes. Yeah. They're all basically the same thing. Over. They're basically the same Nobody's thing. Nobody's really hurt. Really hurt. Yeah. The yeah. bad guys aren't very interesting. They argue amongst themselves. 
it's yeah, a bunch of shit blows up and no and no one's hurt. And then next week it's the same thing again. It's like Scorsese said it really well in that in that um, in that uh, the uh, final letter. The final right, letter. Right, yeah. He goes. He goes. There's there's sequels in name, but remakes and re- remakes in form, mm-hmm. and that's. Well, they are. And that's to me, or, or also reminds me of their comfort. And back in the 80s, I always noted that television is about comfort and movies are a bad event. If you want to, like, spend some time with your friends, every Tuesday at 7, you can watch Fonzie and Potsy. And, you know, and you can see them and they come <laughs> on screen and Henry Winkler will walk on a stage and the whole audience would lose their shit for a minute. <laughs> They can't believe it's Fonzie showing up on the show. Fonzie shows up on literally every week, <laughs> his exact same time. Yeah. And he has to go like he has to go like he has to can't get his first line. He's got to go to the studio audience, <laughs> you know. And I feel like that's the way with 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 like you know Ant Man three is going to come out and and like they'll have Thor in two scenes and the people go I'm fucking Thor. I can't believe it's Thor. I can't believe it's Thor. Oh my god. What it's theater do you go I told to, you to you see this movie? About this. <laughs> when this is the online thing. I can't fucking believe. What do you make of Scorsese saying all that though, and then uh, that they're not cinema, and then putting a movie out on Netflix? Well, he said he said they're not cinema to him. Correct. But then he puts a movie out on Netflix. That disappoints. They're said there's and they, some theaters and some theaters. There's some theaters enough to qualify for us. I'm going to defend Netflix. Well, you know, I also do, too. They greenlight things that otherwise might not be. Here's the thing. And they have an unlimited budget. What's led to this blockbuster opening weekend culture, which is, I mean, franchise movies, whatever, it's led to this very... This very op- everything's on the opening weekend because it's all about shareholders and it's all about these very short-term ideas. But what's led to that is the conception that the opening weekend is everything, mm-hmm. right? You have to make your sh- corporate overlords happy by showing that you're, this is this is this. It doesn't matter if the film has absolutely no shelf life and a year from now is making nothing. They want that opening weekend. And that's destroyed mainstream movie business. Mm-hmm. Netflix has removed that from the equation completely. And they're expanding out into theaters now, and it's like they've made films that no one else would make. And they made the... I mean, I think I, I don't go to the movies as much as I used to because I don't want to see anything that's out there. I've seen maybe 10 films in the theater this year, not counting festival screenings, and four of them are Netflix movies. Mm-hmm. I will, I'll go pay to see The Irishman. I'll go pay to see Dolomite. I went and saw El Camino in the theater. Because oh, I wish shit. I did. I love it. It's really good. They I loved put the, it so much. It, yeah. it looked amazing on the big screen. Oh, yeah, like I can shot, imagine. 35 cinemas. But I'm saying, like, so... Well, I did the same thing with yeah. 1917. I got a screener, but then I went and watched it in the yeah. theater because that's a movie you, you want to see in the theater. Cinema with a capital C, but, but also a capital I and a capital N and an E and an M and an A. Yes. But I would rather go yes. see. So yeah, so like that's the thing. Like I was a like I was a regular moviegoer. I go every every week for years. I've kind of stopped going all the time because there's just nothing out there, you know. But the Netflix is pretty so. If Netflix really wanted to end, <laughs> upend the whole thing even more than they have, they should go find a bunch of uh, closed theaters yep. around the country. There's tons of them. Because there are plenty of them. Buy them up. Brand them Netflix theaters. I'm sure the corporate overlords in the Senate would have no problem with this, with, with, a, with a monopoly. They've removed those rules. And basically say, hey, you know what? We're going to run Netflix movies in here, theatrically. I would love so, to. So... They were they were bashed for doing Roma. It's like you guys wouldn't make this movie. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't make this movie. And yeah, we only opened it in, in like three or four cities. But the fact is that anybody in the country can see this movie. If you guys made it, you wouldn't have made it. But if you had, you would have buried it in New York and L.A. We're making it available. Everywhere. I'm saying, if you had one in every market, you rural Wisconsin's got a fucking Netflix branded theater, and you say, hey, you know what? If you're a Netflix member, you get two people in for free. It's five bucks for every person after that. If you're not a Netflix member, it's seven dollars a person. And concessions, and then we're going to run Netflix movies, and we're going to and like, 
they would they they clean up. They take the business because people are like, oh, I can go for free to the, th- to the yeah. There's still things you'd want to enjoy with a crowd, like yeah. Dolomite. I saw that. Twice. Like Dolomite, yeah, yeah. it's a great movie. And so that, and then they would go, and then they'd make the money on the concessions, and that would op- that would be enough to buy, operate the theater because they'd be packed all the time. Well, we expanded the conversation. Yeah, but going back to Cruel Hearts as being what today's independent cinema is all about. A lofty phrase. I can see your face. You're like, well, I mean, well, you know, like, like you, a lot. But you basically, have, it's, you have to write a director's statement <laughs> when you yeah. put out a press kit, and it's like you can't just be like, oh, whatever. <laughs> I like my movie. I mean, well, let me let me <laughs> go movie to, good. Let me go to another phrase from the EPK, which is cinema of the '70s. Creative freedom is regu- relegated. No, this I've, I've paraphrased it, but anyway, creative freedom is relegated solely to independent films, and uh, that's that was the model in the 70s and you're trying the, the lunatics took over and it's still a thing today yeah. correct yeah well um i mean blumhouse i guess gives creative freedom blumhouse gives creative freedom because they make it they make the film so cheaply that they can't really lose money on them yeah they go it's under five million dollars just our that's just, what I, just I, our, our existing channels we can make that back that's what i've heard about him low budget no release date until you know you're done. Yeah, uh, and so you're not rushing towards one. You're not tied and then to directors create a freedom. It's a great, it's a great business model. Yeah. They've, I think they've slipped in the last couple of years because they've kind of, they've started getting into this franchise thinking with like we're gonna make Purge Nine, we're gonna you know we're gonna reboot yeah. uh, Black Christmas. Like they feel like they need to have more pitch meetings um, yeah. to bring more people in. But that's exactly a great, it's a great business, and they've done some crap then some great stuff but the fact is they bring these people in and they make these movies that kind of can't lose money my favorite two of my favorite films the last couple of years get out and uh, upgrade upgrades amazing yeah it's an amazing film and you know it, 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 they, that's them and, and my friend mike always says the best star wars movie you'll, you'll ever see will be one when they make it for 40 million yeah yeah you know, like they just put the put the little creative uh you know put a little restrictions on them and i bet you they crank out a better film right yeah. i totally agree with that it's yeah. the adage of theater don't go out and buy the stuff find it from your house bring it in because those interesting moments are stuff you can't write right you discover new ways of telling stories that are yeah really interesting and different well or you, you you go to character you go to story you go to things you know like this to, to bear your theory out is i mean i wasn't a huge fan of joker but joker is a lot higher artistic reach than most superhero films. Mm-hmm. True, you know. Yeah, and they spend a lot less money. A big risk for them. Unpleasant. Um, un- but I like, mean, highly. <laughs> Did you like Joker? Is it likable? I don't know. <laughs> I guess I'm impressed, but good lord. Yeah. I don't know. I, for me, the things in that movie. But I agree with you on the artistic integrity. Of that yeah, and the, and the performance. Although, again, like I, this is a guy. Joaquin has done good, work that good before. And, Correct. And those kind yeah. of characters before. If you haven't seen, you're never really here. You're never really here. Is that the? Film? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah I haven't yeah, seen it though. Yeah. That's a tremendous movie. It's on. Yeah. It's on Prime. Yeah, I want to see. And it's it's only 87 minutes, and it's it's an equally great performance. Well, he was brilliant in the was it the perfect? What was the the Scientology one? The, the master. The master. The master. I thought he was great in that. For the record, He's, though, if you only have 86 minutes, I recommend Cruel Hearts. Right. Well, thank you. Yes, <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> but you know, for me, for me, with that, for a joke, I, I, actually, can we? So this is a spoiler for Joker, so, zip, so zip ahead a minute or yes, so. No, just turn the volume down and come I, turn it back for up. For me, the worst part of Joker were the things where they actually went to the canon, like when he goes to, to, the, to Wayne Manor. I agree. And Bruce, and, and, and Bruce Wayne is just standing outside the gate of his mansion, just hanging out, just standing there like, a, like fucking Children of the Corn, like <laughs> Damien. And he's like, and, and I saw him walk, walk towards the gate. I'm like, I said, oh, God, he's going to say, what's your name? And he goes, what's your name? <laughs> oh, he's going to say Bruce. <laughs> Bruce, like, fuck you. But this is the best part. So, 
So the end of the movie, when the riot's happening, this is the spoiler part, the riot's happening and the, the Wayne family has decided to go to a Skid Row movie. There's literally <laughs> crowds of people chanting, kill the rich in front of places he's speaking. He's a famous public figure. Let's go to a Skid Row theater downtown and show my kid a movie with no protection. And let's park on the other side of Rape Alley to get there. <laughs> so they're walking through Rape Alley with the kid, and they get they you know and and the guy kills your dance deal. They kill the they kill the parents, but the theater they're walking because it takes place in 1981. The film Joker it takes place in 81. Although somehow this poor guy is affording a, a VCR in 81, which cost about $2,000 back then. But regardless, forget that. So he's walking out of a theater. It's 81, because I know, because the two films playing at the, the gay blade, The Gay Blade. Zorro, this is Blowout, <laughs> and, and Zorro the Gay oh, Blade are movie. the two films playing at the theater. I so hope to God they saw Blowout. There's no way. Yeah. There's <laughs> no way. Going up to the last There's film. no way the Wayne Fick and Sorry Wayne family took their kid to an R-rated movie to see Blowout. Not They went and saw Zorro the Gay <laughs> Blade. The last film <laughs> the Wayne died. saw. And then they died. <laughs> The last film the Wayne saw in life, Zorro, the, Zorro, the Gate, which my parents took me to see in the theater in '81. Every ten years, the movies remind us that Bruce Wayne's parents died. There's not much of a spoiler. But I'm there, just really. saying. <laughs> true. I'm just yeah. saying. Someone, well made, someone made the decision <laughs> to say, hmm, "I think just, I think you would see Zorro the Gate Blade." You yeah, can make that Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> you can make that Superman too. Reds. You can, you can make, make it. it. <laughs> you can make it Superman too. You can make it so many. You can make it Rocky. What I don't know. Rocky. That was eighty two. Oh, never mind. That was eighty two. But you can make. And nah. Thanks. We need a George Hamilton movie in there. That's due wow. for a comeback. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> the film that ruined the coattails of Love at First Bite forever. Love at First. Did That's you see the movie once, Joker? Did you see it once? Uh, yeah. Wow, and you took all that away. See, I forgot what was playing. I saw I saw a screener. You take it. away the weirdest stuff, don't you? Like that's <laughs> like you thoroughly noticed that and have a theory on it. Uh, cool. Of course, I, I, if you it, were if, probably already fired up. Well, though. the worst is if, if, if there's anything anything in a movie chronologically, I start calculating like like Joker's forty years older than Bruce Wayne. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah, I yeah. thought of that too. He's like he's like I am Batman. He's like I am the Joker. <laughs> I got one for you, kid. He's not quite the Joker yet. His but criminal, I'm already forty. Yeah. His criminal his his, his his criminal power is he tells Shecky Green jokes. <laughs> Take my wife, please. This is a current joke when I was hey, a kid. That's Eddie Youngman. Oh, sorry. Oh, okay. you're right. No, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Um, but all right. So let's go back to the, then the script that you put together is. In relationships mm -hmm. and how complicated they are and you know and, and people dealing with the dark side of their humanity so that's that's what I think is going back what you put here about like the cinema of the 70s whereas right. today it would be you know uh, Burton who's what's Alev's character uh, guy, if guy. He Bert and Guy need wedding dates, right? There. <laughs> but <laughs> instead, which by the way, that's that's, <laughs> a, that's, a, that's a sequel. That's a sequel. Yeah, exactly. Spoiler, Paul. Yeah, he went out and found <laughs> this. So is that that appeals to you? Is that what appealed to you in doing all these movies with oh, Paul? Absolutely. Just, uh, I mean, for me, I feel like the luckiest guy on earth. I got a guy who's writing movies and asking me to be in them to start with. So <laughs> that's very appealing Check. to start with. <laughs> uh, no, I, honestly, I feel so grateful and honored that I'm allowed to do these kind of characters. I never thought of myself as playing. Somebody like Burt Walker, but I never. I thought Marvin was more in my, more more <laughs> the, the character from Favor. Yeah, it was more something I could play. But even that, when I first read, it, I was like, "This guy is really weird." But what a gift to be able to kind of dig into these characters. And so, yeah, I you know when I read it, I was like, as a matter of fact, when I first read it, I wasn't sure what character you were thinking about me for. Oh, really? Yeah. You thinking you're thinking guy? I didn't know. 
I was like, oh, maybe I'm Guy. Maybe I'm Sal. I don't know. <laughs> like, I just sort of read it and go, what, what do I get to chew on? You know. So. Well, like that character is based on. Uh, I mean, it, it's inspired by what I call the the tough guy with a heart characters from like. There's the Liney. There's Get oh, Carter. There's Point Blank. This one's really influenced by Point Blank. Um, there's uh, The Long Good Friday. These are characters where these are gangster movies where the king, the gangster has a soul, and it's about his him wrestling with grief or wrestling with whatever. Uh, they're Sopranos. Usually, yeah, they're usually, yeah. There's another, there's another example. They're usually they're usually revenge um, movie structures, but not all of them. The Long Good Friday isn't. Um, so I sent you. I think I sent you. I gave you my Blu-ray of Point Blank. Yes, and Lee Marvin. Yeah, I mean, fantastic. Yeah, but like Lee Marvin, the, these are guys that you you know. It's not a stretch to say you can do the things that Lee Marvin does. That certainly helped. Yeah, you know that's that was a key for the character. Help pull it from the page a little bit for me. Yeah, but yeah. Um, you know, I, but when I first read it, I'm like, oh, they're talking about this guy as being this tough guy, and I just don't, I don't see myself as that. You know, so it was. But you, you don't know. see yourself as Marvin from Favor. I guess either. I don't. Do I mean, was, was, now, if you yeah, haven't he, seen it, certain a creepy days. loner. Creepy, <laughs> yeah. You know. No, he liked it because in Marvin he got to eat because he had to gain weight for the role, and this one he had to lose weight for the role. Uh, yeah. So he's like, I, I, can I, I kept it off. Can I play? Can I play the fat guy again? Because I got a pile of Snickers <laughs> bars. Kind no, bars. Never again. <laughs> Taking that off was not fun. You well, know, we can we can pad the suit. Yeah. Well, I had the privilege of being stage and what do you? camera directions guy for a read-through. Yeah, yeah, we did a read-through. Read right, yeah. read so I did all yeah. that. And so had, did it change much from that first reading? No. Uh, uh, no, really? No. So, there were, oh, so by that time, had you already done a bunch of rewrites? Or what was yeah. your rewrite process? I, I, well, I tend to, I mean, usually I can tell when something's wrong. So I try, to not, I try not to give it around to people until it's where I can't see the problems anymore. Like, I get it as far as I can, as polished as I can, then I go, here, check it out. By the time I decided to make it, I'd already gone through kind of my inner circle of people who read my stuff, and it had already kind of gone through that already. So I was, I consider that a shooting script. I mean, I was, you know, when we were done, we, we, we did adjust. By the time we you yeah. say it out loud, by the time I think you'd invite you, yeah. you yeah. in to come and yeah. read, I well, think you're pretty be, much set up. We, we have a mutual friend, Blaine, and Blaine's very different. Blaine likes to send out scripts when he's like in the sloppy early stages. The cut to the chase is Blaine Weaver? Cut to the chase. He likes to send out scripts in the early kind of, you know, mushy, like he's still figuring out what it is. And I'm like, why are you doing this? Like, it helps him find it. For me, I'm like, I know the film I want to write. And I'm like, this is a problem. This is, I'll, I'll, I'll take it as, I'll fix as many problems as I can identify until I get to a point. Usually what happens is they're usually so polished. I, Cause I'll, I'll write, I'll write, I'll write a couple movies. You know, I'll go through a writing stage where I'm writing three or four movies and each one will kind of go out to the, sort of a few people to be read and sort of get feedback and it's it's never like change this it's always like ah, it doesn't work because it's like it's all so tight you don't know something can really adjust or it does work you know it's pretty much the notes I get back and sometimes there's some things like this is too long or this is too this but for the most part and I don't want to bother actors with reading it you know so it's, say you don't, it's not unusual though is it to like want to hear the interplay of actors giving your lines life? It can be. If we were... Because I think that people do that sometimes when they... Yeah. And then they go away and rewrite. Or? Sometimes. If we were... We did incorporate some things, I think, in the... That you guys came up with. But through also... the rehearsal process, though? Through the read and the rehearsal. Because we do also... we like I like to do rehearsals. So we do before before shooting. So we'll go and we'll, we'll kind of work through the scenes and we'll talk about... I mean, just getting the actors familiar with it and steeped in it. And sometimes I'll, I'll make changes from there. But usually very minor. And is that mostly? I haven't even asked you this. Is that mostly for blocking reasons? It's a it's a money saving measure. <laughs> <laughs> well, because for, for me being on this side of it, yeah, the 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 blocking 
you know, you helps. give us plenty of freedom with that in terms of how does this feel and right. where are you going and all that stuff. Well, so that's, I think that's helpful for you right. to kind of see what naturally is coming up as Absolutely. Cause working, think, and then you'll design yeah. camera around that yeah. if you can, yeah. based on the location. Because when you're shooting, that's when the money's burning. So you don't want to get onto into a location, I have it for six hours, and go, so what do you guys think of the scene, and what's my motivation, uh, and let's just, just, let's just discover. Unless you're Stanley Kubrick. Then. Well, then you don't have six hours in the location. Right. Then, 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 you, then, you, months. then it's in your fucking warehouse you own, and you can shoot for two years in that location. I'd rather have all... I, those questions are good questions to answer. They make the scene better if the actors can understand this, or let's talk like you and Bonnie, who plays Terry... Spent a couple of That's sessions. That's lobster's wife. Yeah, right. just yes. talking about yes. the history. That just, just they just our just relationship and uh, you know she, what her day looks like. Yeah. And for her, she just liked to really. And this is also also rehearsals let you know what the actor's process. Every actor is different. Every actor's process is different. Unless the unless the process is hurting somebody else, you want them to be able to pursue their process, and you have to allow for it. So by going to rehearsal and learning how each actor works, you can then tailor your day. Like, oh, this person likes to, is really fresh first. Do their coverage first. This person likes to work into it. Do their coverage last. This person likes to not talk at all. This one likes to talk a lot. This one likes to talk about the history of the characters. This one is more about this. You know, which if I need someone to step towards a window because that's what the light is, some actors you got to say, you got to give them a reason why they should walk. The motivation, towards. yeah. 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 So yeah. other actors you go, it looks cool. Walk toward the light. They'll go, cool. I'll think of something. So it just depends on the rehearsal process. But yeah, exactly. So when you get on the stage. On, in the, on the shoot day, the actors are already, and I'm already familiar with how this scene's supposed to function. So we can sort of adapt what we did in the rehearsal room and go, okay, that's A, that's B, that's C. I know where the coverage is going to go, and the actors can sit into it and go, okay. And then it just takes, and very quickly, they're back to where they were. They can find it again. And But being in the space, hopefully, makes it fresh. That's the theory anyway. Yeah. So it's not stale. Sometimes you get in there and it doesn't work. The, re the blocking is totally, we got to start over, but it's pretty rare. Chili John's parking lot. Yeah, <laughs> that scene was just like we we it was a six page dialogue scene between um, Patrick and Blaine Weaver in favor, and it's a it's a there are, there's multiple like it's he, he's going to his car, your character surprises him, you walk back to your car, then you walk back to his car. It's like a lot of stuff happening in this scene. We have to shoot it second half of the day before the sun comes up. It's like sixteen setups. It's not quick. We blocked it in rehearsal. And we figured out the scene days beforehand. We're shooting it. Blocking didn't work. Doesn't work. It's completely handcuffing every dramatic moment, every character impulse in the scene. You know, sometimes it just doesn't work. You feel like you're trying to walk through quicksand. Yeah. And you're trying trying to stay connected. And you're like, oh, in your head, in my head, I'm going, I don't buy this bullshit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I know... My best critic, mm -hmm. there's no way he or she's going to buy this right, bullshit. Right, right, right. And probably if I have a fan, they're not going to buy this bullshit. Right. So. And then you start going down this, as you, as an actor, you know this, that terrible place where you're just, it's downstepping and downstepping and downstepping. And that's particularly yeah. difficult during a night shoot yeah. on a low-budget movie yeah. that you've already rehearsed and thought it worked. And With that much coverage. Like not that. working, you know. So basically it became in that situation, it was like, just do it the way you feel it. I'm not gonna and just and she did it a couple of times. I said, "Great, do." And they and they both times they did it, they kind of ended up in the same spots. Like you found a new rhythm for it. So then I went and then I had to learn it. So I'm like, "Okay, I'm gonna back the camera up. I'm gonna do a super wide shot. Do it one more time. A couple of takes that way. Then I'm just gonna follow you with the camera. It'll be sloppy, but I'll." And then I kind of and then I had to in my head kind of rewrite the shot list and the movements for where I was gonna be. But I was able to, 
one, this is the idea that when you're prepared, you can throw everything away and rebuild very quickly because uh, I was prepared. But this allowed them to free up and, and it made this scene, it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie um, because it feels, because you guys are so good in it. And it's because you took the handcuffs off. Yeah. Because they were, that, in that case, the preparation was handcuffing you. But what you just said, I think, echoes and resonates for me as an actor and when you train actors. You know, you want to go in with these really strong, specific choices and commit to them 110%, but then on a dime, be willing to change it the moment casting says, oh, by the way, it's a comedy. Or, yeah. you know, we're doing it this way. So you want to come in strong, like you did with the pre-work, but then not be so married to it yeah. that you can't breathe a little bit within yeah, that. But I guess that's tougher as a director. Yeah. You know? well, but it's the same thing, though. It's the same thing. It's, it's, a re it's a combination of being rigidly prepared but being ready to throw it away if it's not working and yeah. being able to recognize it's not working and doing a documentary. That's a big one. Doing a documentary really helped me with that. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because you, in a documentary, you're, it's all. You have to. You're capturing and you're, in your mind, putting it. it. Yeah. You're finding it. And so that really helped loosen me up because I used to be one of these like, oh, it has to be this way. It's the storyboard. <laughs> We've got to do it. Yeah. No, it's just how I, it's how I saw it in my head and it's not the movie. It's like, no, it's still the movie. Uh, on the film Fluorescent Beast we shot last summer, which we're, we're editing now. And we, you weren't there for this, but there was a, um, we had a scene that was supposed to be shot at a hotel pool at, at night. And we, we had a, so it was again, the second half of our day and it was a sit down conversation. It's not, I mean, a little bit like Dawn walks over and there's a little bit of talking and walking, but they mostly are sitting. Um, <clears throat> so we lit the thing. It took forever to light, very tough to light. We're dealing with people at the pool and we're kind of, you know, whatever. As soon as we're set to go. Opens up raining. So we have to scramble, grab all the gear, grab all the lights. We're running into an alcove and we're like, and we're waiting. How long is the rain going to go? Where we're, are you? We're in a, at a Best Western shooting this scene. Where though? In, what, what? This is in Fluorescent Beast. This is in a movie we're still editing. No, the, sorry. What part Southern of California. Southern California. Yeah. It actually rained. Yeah, why, yeah, believe it or not. It opened up. It opened up. And so we're like, well, we kept seeing the <laughs> forecast and it kept like 10% chance. It kept going up 20%, 30%. If I was like 70%, and I'm like, it's not coming though. And then we started going down and we're like, okay, we're probably okay. And then that's when it rained. So we're already three hours into our six hour stretch after lunch before we're at 12 hours where meal two comes in and we're like, we're nowhere. We're nothing. And so that was a situation where we had to, we like literally, the gaffer and I walked around the hotel and we're like, we first tried to the bar. Can we shoot in here? And they said, well, we got to close it and legally blah, 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 blah. And so they said, well, but you can shoot in the lobby. There was a big roaring fire in the lobby. So we completely restaged this entire thing lickety split ran scrambled lit everything and we got a shot and it was that's like a four page scene um of dialogue but again the actors being prepared were able to adapt right what they did and uh and we managed to get the scene done and be wrapped by but the 12 hour mark what was really amazing in that scene though is uh, don brody who's playing in the scene she she's outside smoking and she discovers the other character and and she was so looking forward to smoking because she just had a baby. She gave up smoking for the baby, but she could justify having one for the film. Yeah. <laughs> so she's like, get a pack. And I said, I, I bought you the pack of the non. She said, no, 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 get the regular, get the Marlboros, get the American Spirits. I want to, come on, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. I got to, it's method. I got to. So then, of course, when we did it inside, she couldn't smoke anymore. So I said, then I said, well, you stand by the coffee station. She was just, coffee. I can, I can have coffee. Going back to the staging thing, I, w <laughs> I went to see a screening of uh, of Steve Jobs uh, back when that came out. Though. Oh, yeah. And uh, I loved that film. Eric yeah, Sorkin, I, mean, I believe, wrote it. A lot yep. of walking and talking. Mm -hmm. And Boy. Seth Rogen said, yeah, Danny 
got a soundstage and mapped out the entire set that eventually they went on to a physical yeah. set of all the locations yeah. where he launched all these different products. But, uh, and, and so Seth's like, yeah, normally I go in, I'm like, what are we doing today? And now, but this is like, well, I had to know everything we everything, were doing because yeah. we blocked everything so specifically. Yeah. Like, that seemed like a crazy bit of, uh, I mean, no improv. Well, that one you no, have, no, no that, improv there, really. That I, one you think. have to. I mean, yeah. my God. Um, I know the movie Free Fire, uh, the director used Minecraft. He built the entire, because the whole thing takes place in a warehouse, it's a shootout in a warehouse, the whole film. He built the entire warehouse in Minecraft. Was it the one with Charlotte uh, Copley? Uh, yeah. Any movie with him is good. Yeah, and he basically built, he built the, the whole thing to scale in Minecraft and used Minecraft to map the movie wow. out. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. That's cool. But you can. Uh, and like, like a lot of indie films, you are you in the new film too, Fluorescent? Which I am. He is. Yes. Like you, you're uh, riding that wave, dude. I'm so excited. Uh, <laughs> so, what's in, uh, it's a smaller part, right? It is, but you have more dialogue. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have more dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> in Curl Hearts, he doesn't talk a lot. He's really, he really kind of he has a few lines. A lot of bristling, brimming, brimming yeah. broods and brims, a lot of nonverbal stuff. So in Fluorescent Beast, it's a supporting role, but I like, gave him. He has a. You have a ten-page monologue. I do. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. you Every scene is I didn't know whether to love him or kill him. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, we talked about... He did it. I think uh, before we started taping, we were talking about producer Joe Pizzoul. I know he worked on Favor mm -hmm. in a different format. Of course, you have actors I'll mention in a second who are returning to this, but also the great Joe Kramer returns yes. to yes. work on the score with yes. uh, John Massari and... Uh, Ian uh, Arbor. Ian Arbor. Yeah. Yeah, so I... Yeah, Ian works with Joe Kramer. Ian works with Joe. They're like, oh, okay. So when when Joe gets busy, he brings in Ian, and Ian's great. And then um, when they both get busy, I bring in John Masari. There you go. And John Masari <laughs> is known for Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Uh, yeah. So nice. the three of them all kind of had to. John Joe was very his availability was very impugned. So he would come in when he could. And he would dip out when he had to, and John filled the gap. Was he working on The Man Who Killed Hitler and then Bigfoot? I think he was. <laughs> he, had a, he had a TV show also that, like, he finished it, and then, like, a different network had bought it, and they had to rescore everything. So, yeah, oh, wow. that was a big thing, like, right in the middle of it. And then Elev uh, was... Elev, yeah. Elev Aiden mm -hmm. was on this film. And I remember you telling me why you cast him. It's because you saw him in a short called Lonely Boy. No, a feature. A feature, feature. sorry, called Lonely Boy, an indie film called Lonely Boy. And you said it was, like, the best performance you've ever, ever seen anybody give. No, I said it was the first... The, it was one of the best debut performances I've seen from anybody since, like... Al Pacino and The Godfather. There like, you go. I mean, that's high praise. It's, it's one of those. It's incredible. He, and he's great in he's, Cruel Hearts. Yeah. He's incredible oh, in that movie, in, yeah. in Lonely Boy. Yeah. It was in Phoenix the same year we were there with Favor. That's where yeah. we met him. I believe it's on Prime or two or both. Is right it Troy? Uh, Troy Daniel Smith, Smith produced it. Yeah. Uh, Alev wrote and stars in Lonely Boy. And it's funny because Alev doesn't act anymore. He quit acting. But Lonely Boy, he took off as a writer. <laughs> From Lonely Boy, and he's, he's like, "I'm gonna." We were shooting crew artists. I'm getting up acting. I'm like, "What are you talking about? You've, were you, were you, you just did a great film, just, and now you're in another one." And you're, yeah, and he goes, he goes, ah, it's like I hate auditioning, and yeah. I find writing equally as fulfilling. And I, I, I can't, I'm turning down jobs. I have so many writing jobs. Oh, wow. Last time I saw Lev was a couple of weeks ago, and he, I said, "How you doing?" He's still Ubering everywhere. And he walks outside of in actor space to his Porsche <laughs> and he goes no I'm doing okay I'm doing better he's uh, doing well so but yeah he's Lonely Boy if you have a chance to see it it's terrific it's on Prime I've wanted to see it since you told me about that of course I failed at that no, but wow. uh, I do want to check it out treat yourself to that one it's yeah, tremendous that's... he plays a, a, a young man with uh, with um, with uh, what's that? schizophrenia e he has hallucinations yeah. Yeah. and he has delusions and he's he's off his medication because his medication 
like dowers his personality and like he's trying to he's just a young guy he's a regular young 20 something guy he's just trying to date and trying to live his life and he's trying to navigate having this debilitating mental illness and it's, it's kind of like a beautiful mind the beautiful mind was a slacker was a hipster mm. was like a 20 something guy in, a, in an apartment um and it's yeah he's it's it's pretty wild well what i like about um cruel hearts is it's a bunch of people who are workaday actors you know given material that is of high caliber to, oh, well, to, thank to you complement your script you know uh, people working beyond their credits i mean you watch everyone in cruel hearts and you go why are these people like doing that that's what i want to know thing? so Did hopefully go this go leads go to famous that. you said <laughs> okay i'm working on that, it you're like from my hometown <laughs> it's your job <laughs> I know, you're like from my hometown <laughs> i'll be in a movie with julia roberts why don't you do that oh yeah, yeah all right I'll just go to sunday i like her yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> but you did bring in one uh, emmy winner to uh, join the cast or emmy uh sorry emmy nominee right from uh, how has she not won an emmy yeah Melora Hardin, yes. nominated for Transparent, mm-hmm. uh, also known as Jan from The Office. Yes. And so um, great scenes with her that kind of happen outside the plot, but they really <laughs> give a great color to Alev's character. Um, so uh, did you know Melora, or did you just uh, make a pitch? Well, you, uh, uh, I, I've known Melora for years because her mother started Young Actor Space, which is the school that I run. So okay. her mother, Diane Hardin, um, Laura Harden um, started that school years ago, and I knew Melora from running around Young Actor Space when I was, you know, a wee buck out of college. Um, but I didn't have anything to do with you reaching out to her, did I? I, I don't think. No. I think she. Well, she kind of got on our radar because you knew her. Well, because and I, I Diane her. and Jerry, her mom and dad, came to see Favor at the screening you were at. What did Jerry in the North Hollywood? Did Jerry come to see Favor? Yeah, he was there that day oh, when you guys were there, okay. which is, I think, where I met you. Maybe. Perhaps. Yeah. I think that was it. Jerry Harden anyway, is Deep Throat from X-Files, by the way. Among season, many other things. Season one oh, of the okay. X-Files. Yeah, yeah. He, you uh, know him. I love uh, him. And Character I just, actor. I just met him at Christmas at her, at her house. No, you met him at that screen. I didn't realize that. Um, was or maybe you didn't. I don't know. I but didn't know he was they there. Were I would have so, fangirled so hard. They were so complimentary of favor that I think when you talked to Melora about it, and Melora had not seen favor, but I think they'd heard nice things about Paul. Right, maybe. And I think that had something to do with it. Because I didn't reach out to Melora directly. No, we, I was, we did. We, we approached He told her. me we, you had reached out, and I was like, that's a great idea, because I didn't even think about it. Yeah, we approached her, and we, we I dropped the shit out of your name, by the way. <laughs> oh, good. Patrick Day. Patrick. <laughs> and, and she still signed up. <laughs> Weirdly. <laughs> I guess she doesn't have any Go scenes. Figure. Do I have any scenes of them? No. I'm I'll in. do it. I'm in. <laughs> Alev, Alev Aiden? He, he looks like James Dean? Great, good. Yeah. I was going to ask this earlier when you were talking about methods and acting in the rehearsals. Uh, and what, what is your method? Because you, you got to go to some deep places he bur- or, he, or lack he, of method. He burps a lot. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of gas. Yeah. Um, is, yeah. You know, I, I, I studied Stanislavski in college, but it wasn't until I got into Meisner that I really made huge breakthroughs and advancements and realized I'd kind of been winging it for 15 years and now it's really authentic to the point where, you know, I'm trained to, you know, with modest success to be in the moment more when you need to change from a director's note or something like that um, because you've just prepared so much that when the when the, you get to perform it, you really are in the moment as much as possible. Whereas before, I kind of like brought a bunch of stuff that I thought the scene needed and delivered it. Right. Um, <laughs> what's your uh, deal? Did you, I, I, either of those? Or? I think I think both of those and all of them, to be honest. And I think it depends on the role. Like as much as I sort of poo-poo method, um, if you look at favor, and now that I think back on it, a lot of what I was doing was that. Mm. Um, but 
I don't know if I prescribe to any one methodology because I think that gets in my way. I think every actor works differently. I think what you should do is, and, and as a director or as a coach, you want to be able to give that actor that opportunity to find what works best for them. So the answer is that is not as clear as it should be. I don't, I don't prescribe to any one methodology. I think what I, what I try to deliver is, first of all, your voice, if it's your movie. You know, I, I, I think I'm showing up going, okay, what does Paul want? I'm going to try and give him that <laughs> while still feeling comfortable and connected with whoever I'm working with. But I also really like, as you said, finding those fresh moments once we move to set. Like I'm happy to rehearse and have my choices, but for me, I want to keep it, you know, actively listening every time. And if it isn't working, then I got to divert to you because I'm not, I don't want to be so much in my head that I'm watching myself. That's when I'm doomed. And I think that's what I was doing on that scene in favor that we were talking about that started to get into my head that day that we were maybe working with the blocking because I'm, I'm now Jones. I'm watching yeah. myself. Yeah. And well, uh, for the, me, the I'm blocking just dead the just, moment I did it just ended up being not, not natural. The blocking, it was ended up being, it was, yeah, it wasn't something you, it was, there was, we worked at a flow in the rehearsal space and it wasn't there in the, on the day. And so we had to throw it away and go, well, what does feel natural here? And rebuild it from there. So so the blocking wouldn't get in your way. The blocking's not supposed to be in your way. Right. The blocking's supposed to sort of naturally evolve from the way the scene would play. But when you get into the, the actual space, sometimes it's so different. Yeah. And well, what you bring that day is different. I even. guess, exactly. Your yeah. mood on the day, you know. Yeah. Did you sleep well? Did you have a healthy meal? Or did you cheat and have something terrible? Or... But also I, what I like to bring is, you know, every book I've read, every audition I've booked, every audition I haven't booked, I try to learn from everything. And then if we're sitting next to each other having a scene, I'm also trying to figure out your methodology without asking you, you know, to see yeah. where are you coming course, from and how yeah. can I either help that? Because it's like an improv to me, even though it's scripted. If every improv, everybody tried to make their scene partner look good, every improv would be better. Well, they always say that's our old teachers used to say, in, in a scene, it's your partner's birthday. That's treat great. Him, well, that's, a great, that's great. That's great. Yeah, that's a great uh, Martin DeMott from Second City. It, it, you know, it takes you out of your head, which is it, the goal of all this stuff, is to get out of your head. Because you got enough going on in your head if you're following the writer's thought and trying to connect with what part of the story he or she's trying to tell. Right. How do you, you know, the, the effort to relax. And for something called the young actor space, do you even talk about methods or how do you teach young people? Yeah. I mean, you know. And how young are they? Are they? Well, they the classes start at five, but I don't teach that age anymore just because I did it for so many years that I'm sort of graduated beyond that. Yeah, um, imagine with five, it's like, well, today we're learning Strasbourg. The five is yeah, like, what no, are we I, doing? <laughs> for the five-year-olds and six-year-olds, and we often get into trouble with this from agents because we won't give out scripts. Because if you do, oftentimes their parents are going to read it to them and they're going to come back and pair it. Yeah. So it's more of a sense of play, and it's a lot about discipline. Because at that age, hit your mark, wait till somebody says action, do your job, wait for cut, and then go back to your goddamn mark and <laughs> wait. And that sounds like a real easy thing, but that's not, you know. Yeah. But we teach five through adults through 65. You know, my, my two adult classes are, there's some incredibly talented people in there. Some of them have gone off and done series and come back just to kind of play for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And some of them are walking off the street and always wanted to do it and never had an opportunity because I don't, we never differentiate just because you 
are on a series doesn't mean you're better than somebody else. It just meant you got to be in the right room at the right time, you know, with the right role. And I feel like everybody learns from everybody. At least for me as a teacher, I learn from everybody every day. I learn something at that space every day because we're in the business of behavior. Mm -hmm. Here's a great story um, back on Favor, uh, a great method story. So in, in Favor, if you remember, his character is driving a woman he thinks is dead <laughs> in the back of the car, and she wakes up, and he pulls over, and he has to deal with her. He's going off to dispose her body, and she's actually alive. Spoiler alert for Favor. Um, available now on Tubi. Um, so, in, so the actress that played the woman in the back seat, Abby, that actress didn't did not want to rehearse. She went to some very dark places with this character, and she would cry. She's like, I don't, I don't want to. I just want to do it the one, do as few takes as possible. She really didn't want anything to do with rehearsing. She wanted to just get there, and she didn't want to rehearse for camera. Just do it, get it done, get it out of the, get it done, get it over. You know, she was very. So we're shooting uh, on this road in the middle of nowhere. I'm, I, it, we're shooting in this road in, in the dark, right? Pitch black. Pitch black. This winding road and like, oh, I was somewhere, I was in the valley. Off and, Mulholland somewhere, yeah. but deep, you know. Yeah, deep. So we're shooting out there and it's really just, it's it's Patrick. First of all, it's just Patrick and I in the car and I'm shooting his side of it. He's on the floorboard. Yeah. <laughs> with the, I've got the camera and the mic and the light. All three things because the car is just too tight. And then we're going to go around and do her coverage and I realize I can't do all of the things. I can't mic her and shoot and hold the light turning around. So I'm literally like, I call base camp and I said to Joe Pizzula, like, can you come out here, you know, and can you hold the light <laughs> and stand outside the car so we can shoot this scene? So he's like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll be up there. Where are you? I'm like, we're somewhere on this fucking road. <laughs> Drive so, up here, look so, for pitch So black. literally, yeah, <laughs> maybe you'll see 10 us. minutes past, past this road. <laughs> And drive, and I'm going to stand out there by the side of the road with my phone so you see the light. I'm going to wave it, and I'll flag you in. So I'm like, guys, I'll be right back. So I go out. Now, this is great because, this is, this you know, is, you know the sound of a car door closing and the silence. Yeah. Right? Now, this actress, even when I got to set, I went to go say hi to her, and she didn't even want to say <laughs> hi to me. Yeah, yeah, she cringed, and I was like, okay, all right, I'm going to give you your... But for me, Paul, that's exciting because now I have... Something fresh to work with, yeah. you know. This is okay. This is how you want to do this, which is great. So I'm sorry to cut you off. No, no, no. no but you, you tell. Well, I left the car. Oh, tell so, the story. Yeah, yeah. So Paul goes and he's walking and he's swearing and. I'm off the flag. I'm off the. I'm off the flag, Joe Pizzula. And I just watch this little cell phone light sort of disappear off in the distance. <laughs> and I have this woman who I really I met her I think at the audition, but that had been months prior, and now she's not talking to me. But she's tied up in the back of this car, <laughs> weeping. There's one little Twinkie light. I think it was a... a the car light. Yeah. And she's just... <laughs> so for... It, it felt like 10 minutes. It was about 10 it minutes. It may have been longer. No, yeah. I'm just like, all right, we're going to see how this shit plays out. And while she starts doing her... <laughs> I'm just sitting there, and every once in a while, I just go like this. And it was 10 minutes of that, oh, wow. which is, looking back on it, yeah. so beautiful. What a beautiful experience in the middle of Mall. By the time action comes to that scene, it's, there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of it's a great shit scene. going on. It's yeah. a great it's scene. It's a pretty fun scene. Yeah. It's a great scene. <laughs> but I don't think she even talked to me afterwards. I think once we did the 
shovel situation. The shovel scene. She, she was like, I'm gone. Wow. And then I saw her at the premiere, and I was like, you were great, and you you know, you know, were so important to this. And, oh, I just had this little part. I said, no, without us having empathy for you, this movie doesn't work. And she True. was very kind, and you know, but that was just her fucking process. Yeah. And who am I to... As long as it's authentic. Yeah. And well, you know, and nobody gets hurt. Uh, of course. A lot of talk about Joaquin You've, Phoenix now instead I of Joker. I felt like I was hurting her. Like, we're doing this scene where, you know, in the desert with where she's fighting with you and like she was crying and like, uh, like do you want to take a break or do you want to just, let's just get it over with? And she's like in, in the picture car holding the prop purse of her character, which the prop man, who's also a methody dude, had filled with like all these trinkets of her life and like they had discussed what each, what each one meant. And she's like, you know, just holding the person, crying and weeping and trembling. And I felt I cut, I cut the coverage for that scene like in half because I felt like I was torturing her. <laughs> and then later I realized that was dumb. I should have just, I should have got what I needed, which I did. I should have kept going. I should, I should have gone cycle back to the shots I dropped and got those as well. And until I broke her, because I could get more. And I, I remember I told her later. I said. I realized I should have gone to find your breaking point because I, I pulled back on you and she's like, oh, I would have broke. I'm like, yeah, I, I would have stopped to go, yeah, but when? <laughs> right. <laughs> One more shot? Two more shots? Five more shots? I mean, you know, I don't want to William Friedkin her, but I mean, <laughs> it's like, maybe I should have. Yeah. I don't know. I'm very proud of that scene, so. Well, um, did that answer your question? No, I, I, don't, I don't even know there was a question. It's a, a great story. It's a good method, good <laughs> yeah. method story. Oh, she, that's yeah. true. Because yeah. she's yeah. really good in the movie. I think she's really good I in mean, favor. I think what you should do as an actor, and you probably can relate to this now having done this that long, is take what works for you, man. Yeah. Take what works for you and go with that and run as fast as you can mm -hmm. with it until it doesn't work for you anymore. And then the moment it doesn't, throw it the fuck away like it's yesterday's newspaper and find something else to connect with. Well, that's what I was saying. I'm, I, I've moved on to Meisner and it's working better. So, so I'm going to ride it for a while. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. You know, and Meisner, like, a lot of the eye contact and repetition is good stuff. Some of it, though, is for me, I'm like, no one does this in life. <laughs> no one holds conversations <laughs> like this, yeah. you know. So as a technique, it's great, but we don't do that when we talk. Right. So it's not necessarily 100% true, but finding your way through to that to get to that truth or in those moments where you need to do that, yeah. use it because it works, you know? And as a director, I'm just saying, like again, like whatever the actor needs to do, I just need to figure it out. Sometimes they tell me, sometimes I observe it, but like what, what do they need or what's, what works best for them? I want to facilitate them doing that. I don't want to take that away from them. So she didn't want to rehearse? Fine. Right. We won't rehearse done we didn't do any rehearsal before i literally would we just i just find the focus and we just shoot the first time when she's saying those lines that's the first time she's saying them on cam at all in front of the camera um if someone wants to rehearse exhaustively like blaine weaver again loves to run lines wants until to know every until, movement wants to yeah he run line he run lines until he's purple like adam <laughs> carl he would he he likes to when he would act he would like you know we did a play and he always wanted to on this moment because it's a comedy i'm gonna pick my cup up here and do that well, I'm not that guy. Right. Now, he was directing this play, but my intention was always to kind of fuck with that <laughs> because it keeps it alive, you know? Yeah. And so we're working completely differently, but it works. It finds its way, you know, to work because it's giving him an element of surprise, plus it's allowing me the game of sort of back and forth with him, right. which keeps me active. Was that Waiting for Ophelia? Yeah. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> well, running out the Cruel Hearts cast, speaking of actors, we have Eddie Jemison, mm -hmm. and a uh, 
from the Ocean's Eleven movies, and he was on Hung and Bruce Almighty and stuff, but he also has this great indie cred. I love Eddie. Uh, Bonnie Roots, we, uh, we mentioned, and the great Marion Kerr fills out the cast yeah. as yes. well. I talked to her at the Pasadena Film Festival. You can find that audio on themovieguys.net, oh, when your film played there. So tell me about the festival run that the movie had. Uh, yeah, it, was, it was a good festival run. We, we did uh, a ten, well, <laughs> we did 10 film festivals, and we did something called Hogfest. <laughs> can we talk about Hogfest? I think you should talk about Hogfest. <laughs> talk about Hogfest. So Hog Soap. That was one I, I dodged. You dodged it. Well, you know what? Look, it, it wasn't... It wasn't it's not a film festival. It's a music festival that takes place in um, Carlsbad, New Mexico. And uh, a, the um, the guy who runs it is a DJ, and he'd interviewed us on the radio for Favor. So, yeah. Oh, Tim I didn't know that. Tim Binder connected us, and we read for him. We did an interview with him, and so he reached out to Tim and said, "Tim, I'm I do this music festival every year. I'm thinking of adding a movie element. Who you got? Who might be interested?" And he goes, "Do you know?" We'll the guys did favor, they have a new movie, and maybe you can play. So he reached out to me, and I was like, sure, why not? Um, he flew out uh, me and and our producer, Jonathan Brown, who goes by J-Dog, and will hitherto be referred to as J or J-Dog. Um, <laughs> they flew us out, they put us up, uh, and we screened the movie there, and it was a, it's a music festival, so like this ZZ Top cover band, and this band, this band, and we, but it was funny, we... <laughs> it's, Wasn't it's, your screening at like 10 a.m. or something? Yeah, yeah. It was something crazy. They, they did a they did a uh, a um, a biker because um, it's a biker music festival. So there was a uh, hog. A, a, there you go. A hog. There was a hog. Yeah. There was a hog uh, parade, <laughs> like eight in the morning, which led to the theater and on the music and everything else. Um, we we were staying at the Super Eight Motel. Now there's several motels. Like Ramada and Quality Inn, you know, at this Carlsbad right across the street from the venue. We're staying at the Super 8, which is the lowest on that chain. And I'm thinking, why are they putting, I mean, we get there and literally the woman, I go, hi, we have a reservation. She's like, huh? <laughs> we have a reservation. I don't, well, I don't think so. Like, oh, I didn't know. Our names are in. Uh, uh, okay, who? Uh, um, let's try Hogfast. Huh? Oh, let's try Paul Osborne. Uh, Paul Osborne. No, I don't know him. I'm Paul Osborne. <laughs> On the, I look and I look at the list of room. I go, that's me. Oh, oh, you have room. Like, yes, yes, we have a room. And it's like the floor's uneven <laughs> and it's weird. And, it's cre- and and Jay and I are both like, mm. and oh, and all the TVs are set to like sports mode. So every movie looks like a friggin' soap opera. Oh, it's- Motion smoothing. Yeah, everything's That's like, the worst. It's like it's like it's the off, it's some, some off-brand television I've never heard of. It's all nothing but motion smoothing, and we get there and I'm like like well I wonder where the talent's staying because we're like cause this is a music festival and like where where the talent's staying like this is we gotta be they must have filled up the good hotel and we're here <laughs> but Kim Klein the super nine Kim Klein who was like a the regular big, eight the big <laughs> headliner regular eight the rig the big headliner Kim Klein was literally next door to us in the super eight. Yeah, we could hear like her hairdryer going. <laughs> At least it worked. Yeah. Right. She so, provided it. It wasn't so, with the room. I mean, it wasn't one of those yeah, it fancy was, rooms yeah. that has an iron and a. There was there was <laughs> a uh, there was a free um, bowl you could ride a free bowl riding thing that Michelob Light had put up there. It was an interesting festival, but it was uh, yeah. <laughs> and then then Gravitas Feet uh, Ventures comes along, mm-hmm. and so or did they come along, or did you reach out, or how did well, the they release they release favor. 
Oh, okay. So the, fa- the, the relationship went back to favor. Oh, so cool. we resigned. Favor did well with them. So we resigned with them for favor for another five or years or whatever it was last year. And I said, we have a new movie. We're like, oh, let us know. And so they, they, they snatched at this one too. So Yeah, they're great for indie film. And we had yeah. Leon Rossum in here talking about the Midnighters. Yeah. And we had uh, um, Tommy Avalone in here talking about the Bill Murray stories, mm-hmm. all right. those Gravitas yeah. uh, films. Yeah, and then yeah. good they stable. Did the, uh, they even had more uh, bigger, I think, it's um, the word I'm looking for, exposure with things like, uh, what was the movie called? For the Love of Spock. Of course, Sound City many years ago, mm-hmm. another great doc as well. So, yeah. yeah, they're a good company. Yeah, I mean, they have definitely tiers of films. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, yeah, they're a great company. And, and they're, I mean, we're lucky enough that they picked up our movie for, for domestic. For but there U- are screenings. U.S. and Canada. And where, they are. Where can those be found uh, on so February well, 11th? There's a service called Tug. Or there was a service called Tug. Tug is a theatrical booking service for independent films. It's been around for nine years. They did a we did a bunch of stuff with favor for them, and they've we've had great success with them. In the, the, the Nashville screening was a Tug screen and went mm-hmm. on without a hitch. It was great. Well, all the favor screenings were pretty much Tug. Oh, yeah. So most of our screenings, most of our theatrical engagements have been booked through Tug. So literally last week on Tuesday or Wednesday, Joe Pizzula, uh writes me and goes, "Hey, because um, he had set up an Albany engagement." Because he's from Albany, and he goes, the Albany engagement says called off. Can you? What did you do? <laughs> you know, what is? What, what happened? And then you know, and I said, I, what are you talking about? So I looked online and called off. And then I checked her Birmingham screening, called off. Checked her, all of her, Chicago, all of the screenings were called off, and all the screenings that we had were trying to set up were gone. And I was like, what? What happened? So no communication from Tug. I I wrote to them. Nothing. I called them. I called their emergency line. I found the number for that. Nothing. Called our, wrote to our reps. Nothing. Nothing. No communication. No idea what's happening. Finally, our J-Dog uh, is, is literally stalking <laughs> social media, like writing to them over Twitter, writing them over Instagram, writing them over Facebook. He finally gets a reply to the Facebook post to them, Facebook email to them. They write back, we're closing our operations down. We can no longer do these screenings. Don't write to us again. And they literally shut the, the social media account down at that moment while he was on it with them. They shut down Twitter. They shut down Instagram. They're gone. Alex Ferrari, who runs Indie Film Hustle, contacted me, and he he dealt with the demise of, of Distributor. He was like wrote, he broke that story, and which went to IndieWire and Reporter and everywhere else. And so we talked about that, and he, he started a story. He ran a story about Tug. I think that forced Tug's CEO to... Release finally releases uh, an email to because our we were I still had heard nothing as a as a rights holder who they owe money to from a couple of screens we did last year. Well, but not only that, the issue is you know Tug had everybody's emails, so when you would pay for these screenings, you go directly to Tug. So you guys have no way to find out who bought tickets, yeah. right? Yeah, wow. and to reimburse yeah. them. Yeah. Anyway, so, 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 so we're charged for tickets. So what does that fall on? It doesn't so, fall on Tug. It falls on Cross Hearts or a bunch of people. We, <laughs> less, so let, less than two weeks before the film comes out, suddenly our, our three-quarters of our theatrical infrastructure collapses <laughs> and is gone. And and people who bought tickets, who are being, they're getting emails. They had an email on like on the second day saying, the screening was canceled because of lack of interest don't worry, your tickets you weren't charged. I'm like, I know they were charged. Yeah. Like, you know, Joe had bought a couple of screen- tickets to his own screening and gave them to people. He's like, I was charged. I haven't been reimbursed. And, and bear in mind, wow. these are the same people that a week after these screenings, you're going to ask to rent the movie online 
or buy the movie because yeah. it's getting distributed. This is revenue coming back to the film. These are your core audience members. You think these people are going to trust you to, you know, oh, and yeah. buy it, you know. PR nightmare. Yeah. So, um, so, so cruel hearts, her cruel hearts movie.com <laughs> for updates on when yes. the screenings and <laughs> where they'll be. Pictures.com <laughs> forward slash theaters. Yeah. Uh, so, um, as of, as of right now, Birmingham and Albany are a go. So ticket legs will be up. Will be up the next few days. Albany, it's going to be the same theater. It's going to be the same night. It's going to be a half an hour earlier. And if you bought a ticket to that screening, um, you if you haven't reached out to Joe Pizzullo or he hasn't reached out to you, <laughs> you should write to us at info at conspicuouspictures dot com and we'll make it right. Get you in touch. Yeah. Make it right. We'll get you in touch. So if you bought a ticket to that screening, he will make sure. You are at the theater and you can get in. And then there's, he has, a, and there'll be additional seats available as well. It's a bigger theater. So there'll be 40, 50 more seats. If you don't want it, Albany, you were planning That's on, Albany, New York, right? Yeah, Albany, George, New York. George, I believe, too. So yeah, so if you're planning on buying we're in tickets. in Birmingham, too. We are in Birmingham. Right, right. But if you're planning on buying tickets, you, tickets will be available in a couple of days and you're they're through the theater. There's no shenanigans possible. There's no third party. So you're fine. And also, the Tug, the Tug CEO did write to the, us filmmakers finally. And say that they will be reimbursing, oh, good. refunding okay. in the next okay. forty-eight to seventy-two hours. So, hopefully, they're of their word, and that does happen, and we're all set to go. But, um, <clears throat> but, and then Birmingham, it's going to be the same night, same time, different venue. It's going to be at the Sidewalk Theater now. Um, it's a, a slightly smaller theater. It was a hundred and three seat theater in originally. Now it's a ninety seat theater, but they'll open up a second screening. So if you wanted to see it and you can't get into that first screening, second one. So the ticket links for that will be up as well. Um, and I think that's that's all work. So And then Denver is unaffected. Denver is completely... <laughs> so was Denver Tug as well or no? no? Oh, no. so it was uh, on no. its own. Denver okay. was arranged uh, completely separately. And so, but, you know, Chicago, unfortunately, is going away. And a few other cities we were setting up are... I want to go back to my away. question. So one of the screenings, Sorry. New York and L.A., and then I thought I'd get on to the next question. <laughs> and there was this whole other thing. No, so it was a whole, it was whole, some drama. Go to, go to, Indy, go to IndieFilmHustle.com. Alex Ferrari's amazing uh, site. Between the two of you, it'll make it right. Yeah. No, it's it's it's, it's in the works. And we have an incredible... What, what really struck me when that happened was we have an incredible team of people working on this movie. Yeah. Joe, Bill, Rob, independently John. producing them on their own. You yeah, know? all of them were like it, this chain was. I want like, to do a screen. Bonnie did a screening up in uh, Portland, which we're not going to get paid for because it was through Tug, and Tug oh, never paid us. No, yeah. and, and that was like months ago. Huh? Yeah, we never got paid for the last quarter. So, but the point is, is that these the team was like really they all rallied. No one turned on each other. Everybody was just like, we're going to get this done, and everybody was helping everybody else. Just today, TCPs got shipped to the theaters, so we'll be... Because before, Tug would provide DCPs, and now I'm like, I guess I got to ship DCPs. I guess you guys might want the actual movie to run, so it went out. So, Well, um, VOD and Blu-ray run yes. at the same time as well. Same day. Okay, so... Uh, that, that's a that's a good hour on Cruel Hearts, so I want to... Oh, I should point out, I, you've given me Cruel Hearts... Uh, Valentine mints or candies. Yes. With the hearts, but they don't say, like, love ya. <laughs> True to the film, they say, how could you? You just destroyed a collectible on air. I know what you way. did. I know, because I'm eating the damn candies. So. <laughs> but will everyone get these? Good or for no? you. We had a limited number. They've been There's a, a bunch in Birmingham for the Birmingham yeah. screaming. There were a bunch in Phoenix, I think we get a lot them. in Phoenix. And uh, they've been spread around, but we're, we're, running, we're running low on them. So now I'm saving them for podcasters and radio hosts. Till death. 
till death. <laughs> you didn't. Uh, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, come on, Meisner, give it a, give it a little, give it a little. Uh, till death. There you go. Give it a little it. noir. Have you ever steak. had some of your own mints? There, there was candies. There? How could you? I know what you did. Cruel hearts. Do you want to say one more thing? Um, we have a little. Uh, there's some bonus material. If you if you buy or rent the film on or on iTunes on or before February 11th, which is our release day. So if you do it, if you pre-order it, or if you get it on release day on iTunes, you email us at info at conspicuouspictures.com a, any kind of proof of purchase, just like a screen cap of your iTunes window or just a picture off your Apple TV, whatever, to show you've rented or purchased it. We will send you back a private link to watch our behind-the-scenes documentary, Mean Spleens. All so right. we did the same thing with Favor. It was called Party Favor, and, it's, and it was a, it was outtakes, bloopers, crazy onset stories, a whole behind the scenes menagerie. So if you're in indie film or you want to see, I mean, it's full of spoilers. Oh, so watch made. the movie first. Yeah. yeah, but we have a whole there's a you know there's a whole story on Cruel Hearts where um, on our 11th day of shooting we were shooting all the scenes with Alev's character in his motel room, which meant that he was the only actor there the whole day. It was all these scenes just with him by himself. And it was, it was, I noticed it was day 11 on the call sheet. So I started going up to 11, going, day 11. Oh. Day 11, which he fucking hated. I'm sure. So he went I'm to not the thrilled with it right so now. So when no one was looking, he went, <laughs> you've heard it twice. Yeah. Well, he, he went to the slate and he changed the name on the slate, director name to like Paul Asshole or something. And the crew thought this was hilarious. So the rest of the shoot, yeah. they kept fucking with the slate. Different names. And so if you yeah. want to see all the different slate names, nice. there's a whole be section a of mean spleens. Yeah, montage of all the different... Paul Osboob, Saul Rouse Bob, <laughs> Blake Stanley. We have uh, you and Alev on a hot mic in the elevator talking smack about us. That'll be in oh, mean spleens. No. Oh, it's really? freaking hilarious. Oh. You want to know, you're trying to decide who you want to ask to prom, me or Joe. Did I start that conversation? Oh, yes, you did. Good lord! See the mean spleens thing, like the favorite thing. There's always, I'm always horrified. There's going to be something terribly embarrassing. It's all good. It's I'm all sure good. It's, it's be all terribly good. embarrassing. I, I, you, if you want to see me on a stripper pole, no, get, no. Oh wait, yes. No, if you, if you, if that's something you're, if that's <laughs> yes, said the host. If at that's, the, at that's, the panty palace. If that's your heart, yes. If that's your heart song, then. <laughs> Then get then on or before February 11th, rent or buy Cruel Hearts on iTunes. Send the proof of purchase. Your song, you're send really the original. proof of purchase to info at conspicuouspictures.com. We'll send you back the link to Means Planes and you can see Paul Jay on a pole. And Jay on a pole. Yeah. Well, the last things I want to touch on are. <laughs> Was <laughs> I supposed to be more shocked that you no, were on a server? Sorry, sorry. Sorry, I'm not. <laughs> it, why were you on the pole? Because it was there. You know, I'm eating these uh, cruel hearts. Uh, Good. I know what you did, uh, hearts. And uh, you realize you didn't you, you missed opportunity to not get a guy like that for your trailer. A gangster. <laughs> a His gangster. wife is cheating on him. You know, he didn't ever, ever have. You know how much those guys cost? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I was going to ask if you. I know how much those guys cost. Just in general, uh, have you seen anything lately? Let's expand it to the world of movies. Well, you know, it's Oscar time. Awards have you, have season. I've seen, seen all the uh, everything. Yeah, I've seen. I've seen pretty I've seen a lot. Pretty much everything. Yeah. I saw Marriage Story the other night, and that wrapped it up. Uh, I've seen them all now. Oof, that's that's a that's a that's a, a great. One. It's a great. That's the best thing I think Noah Baumbach's ever done. What a great film! It's Excellent. A great, 
And the I one, never, the, I'm never going to watch it again. But it's absolutely <laughs> true. Uh, no, no, no. no. It, yeah. was, like, it was triggering. Yeah. But it was it's terrific. That's how I felt about the wrestler. Remember that movie? Mm-hmm. Oh, great movie. Glad I saw it in the theaters. I will never see that movie mm-hmm. again. So I can watch that one over and over. <sighs> Not me. Yeah, a lot I of people eat. say that about Requiem for a Dream. Yeah, Another one I can well. watch over and over. Aronofsky. You guys, are having, you guys I love Aronofsky. I'm probably Aronofsky. Who makes uncomfortable movies. <laughs> he does. He does. Um, <laughs> uh, I thought Marriage Story was excellent. I think it's excellent. The, excellent. The one thing I hadn't yet seen from Adam Driver until this film was vulnerability, and it sits well on him. And I thought oh he my was God. excellent in this movie. Good. That's where he's on the floor of the kitchen bleeding. Oh, my God. But I was laughing, like hysterically oh, it, during that scene. It's so painful and embarrassing. No, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah, but um, Baumbach's got this energy to his writing that's just, yeah. uh, you know, you just, next thing you know, it's over. But that was two hours or whatever? Two I, hours. I think it was 90 minutes or whatever. No, no, no. It's a, it it's was a, two it's hours. It's over two hours. His, his dialogue just bounces, man. It's really good. It does. I, uh, for some of his movies, though, like, I didn't like Francis Ha. I didn't like um, Pauline at the, Paul, uh, the Wedding or Margot at the Wedding. Like, some of the stuff I just, I couldn't get through Meyerwood's story. So sometimes his stuff just hits me as just kind of, you know, eh. but the Squid and the Whale was great. I actually hadn't seen that until a few months ago. Squid and the Whale, yeah. But, yeah, I remember. But Mare Story is like I think, it, yeah. The like, <laughs> Mare Story is like I think it's a it's kind of a masterpiece. Yeah. It's really a great piece of work. I still go with my my top vote is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's I saw really it the third time the other day. I just I could spend six it's hours with Rick and Cliff. I don't care what they do. I want to see him go shopping. The first you know, time yeah. I saw that movie, I didn't. Didn't I like? It's okay, but it didn't hit me, me right. Me too. This, oh, right. Yeah. So this, the second time I saw it, because like I think you were expecting a different kind of movie from Quentin Tarantino, yeah. and it's uh, the second time I saw it. I saw it with my seventeen-year-old, and we're driving to the New Beverly to see it because he really wanted to see it. And I'm not telling him anything about it. And we're driving, and I go, I wonder if he knows who Charles Manson is. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, oh never, yeah, never discussed. I'm like, oh, well, I, don't, I wonder if he'll know any. Of the, so I'm like, I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to. Because they never say Charles Manson. They say Charlie. Mm-hmm. And he's never really around. His specter is there, though. His specter is there. Yeah. So we saw it, and I got to see it through his eyes. And he didn't know he didn't know the fate of Sharon Tate. He doesn't know the history. None of this. And then later I asked him, and he, he's like, isn't Charles Manson, like, wasn't he like a serial killer, like a John Wayne Gacy? I said, no, he was. that's him. And I explained who he was. Seeing it through his eyes also was really interesting. It works even better without historical context. Because I didn't, when I first saw it, I didn't really understand how Margot Robbie was being used. At first I was like, why is she just this vapid, right. dancing, blonde, hee 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 Like, what the fuck? Why, they're, they're totally wasting her. So the second time, because I'm not thinking about the history of where she ends up, I'm thinking at her in the context of just the film, because that's how my son's looking at it. And I, I go, oh, she's the opposite of DiCaprio in the movie. He's the reality. She's the dream. She's effortless. She's successful. She's got a, a great relationship, and she's beautiful and young. And when he's on set on his this TV pilot playing the villain, struggling to get the lines out, and kicking himself, and like going God, that's fun to watch. Yeah, that's so, so fun good. To watch. So good. They're intercutting <laughs> again with his face in the ice yeah, bowl. I mean, yeah. just they're intercutting with her in a theater doing the best part of making movies. Kicking back and watching it, it with yeah. an audience that loves it, and yeah. by herself, having, yeah. she's having dessert and he's eating his vegetables. Yeah, I, you know, and so, yeah, I, I love that movie. I thought it was that was terrific. The yeah, second time I saw it, I really understood it. Well, especially coming out of Rise of Skywalker, like I did recently, I just saw a bunch of corporate guys trying to make decisions, second yeah. guessing what you think you might like in right. a movie, and making changes based on fan service. And I just thought, man, I need to see uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood again, which I did, because here's a guy who just 
loves 60s Hollywood, and he knows you're going to love it, so yeah. he has to wrap you up in it and get you involved, and he loves Sharon Tate, and he has to save her life, and his movie's dripping out of every fiber of his being, yeah. and you can see it, and it's like, that's the movie I want to see. I don't want to see the guys, you know, fixing stuff, and yeah. I just, uh, I, yeah. Yeah, I could watch it over and over again. It's, that's I think that's it's the film, winner. I think know? it's a film that's gonna because it isn't it because it is hanging out with those people on those days. The second time I saw it, well, I saw it with my son. I was like, I remember. I usually when I go to the movies, I don't get a drink, or I, if I do, I, I drink it at the end because I'm like, I don't want to have to go to the bathroom. Exactly. Yeah. Because I'm we've we, that's who we are now. I'm middle, I'm middle <laughs> age and I have no yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, fuck it. I can bring a, a I got I bought a big old because I'm like I can this movie's just wear it depends, dude. Well, the second time, I'm like, it's the second time I've seen it. You finished, you it's empty the, the cup, you yeah. pee in the cup, right, It's the done. second time I've seen it. There's plenty of space where, where the movie breathes. I can go to the bathroom. I'll relax and enjoy a big a big Diet Coke. There's no breathing room in that movie. I mean, for a film that's not really driven by plot, and there's a lot of people driving around and a lot of what, what you would think feels like B-roll, there's still no, there's still no fat on that movie. Yeah. It's an, I'm like, I didn't move, leave my seat. I was just like, this is, I'm trembling with bladder pain the whole time. But, <laughs> like, there's nowhere to go. And that Spawn Rain sequence is unbelievable. 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 And that's, with nothing that's, happening. That's Pitt's Oscar, too. Just watching the gears turn on that, <sighs> you know, and watching him figure things out mm -hmm. and watching him play people off each other. And, yeah. And uh, I just love that scene. Yeah. I, love I just got uh, Charlie Says from Netflix, which came out last year. Ooh. I don't know if you guys know about this one. It's really interesting because it's along the same idea but yeah, yeah. it's really the women's stories it's about squeaky from and and this oh. woman that, that takes them on once they're in jail and they have flashbacks to it but i really enjoyed that if if you haven't seen that I have not. and you liked once upon a time in hollywood you might really appreciate that too cuz yeah that whole i mean it's pretty cool little tiny things like when pitt comes home from walking the dog at the end right before yeah. the other guys come up he comes in he shuts his door he deals with the dog and he starts to making food but he doesn't lock the door and you know and i just thought to myself the third time i saw it that's the last time that happens yeah, yeah. after yeah. manson yeah. it's a different hollywood you yeah. know and all the all the joy and fun of sharon tate's uh, life is squandered and we see like this uglier right, part. Right. Well, you talk you about know? a relaxed actor, boy. That performance that he put on Brad Pitt in that movie was just incredible. Incredible. Yeah, He's just never a been better. clinic of just like, I'm just here hanging out, man. Yeah. You know, it's just awesome. That's a great character too. Yeah. Um, did you uh, did you see Did you watch Mindhunter on Netflix? I second season saw season one. I haven't seen season two. Season two, two they have they they have Manson and the same actor playing Manson in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood oh, yeah. plays plays, plays, plays on the other side of it. Oh. Is that because oh, he's because cool. he's it's they're visiting killers in prison. Ah. So it's after all this. Whereas in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood it's before. It's really interesting. To see I this. wonder if it's the same actor in Charlie Says. I think it might be. It's just, well, he's just the Charlie Manson <laughs> yeah. guy. This guy's like Jesus Christ no. kind of cast. Good five years for him. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that, yeah. did, you, did you guys see Parasite? I yes. did. I just saw that recently. Yeah, I I loved it. Yeah, it was good. I mean, that's to me so far the best combination that Bong Joon Ho, right, director Bong, mm. has made mm. in combining Bong. like all the drama with all the comedy. Like Okja kind of flew off the rails comedy wise. Yeah. Snowpiercer kind of just was a, a, way too over the top. Parasite kind of drove everything right down the middle very nicely. Is I think is the yeah. best Can't directing look away. effort yet. You know, you couldn't yeah. look away at that one. Um, did you guys like Motherless Brooklyn? No. Did you see it? You did not. I did not see I it. Knew, I knew I was in trouble within the first five minutes. I'm like, I, I want to shut this off now. And, uh, and Leslie, my wife, who was a huge Ed Norton fan, is like knowing, no, let's, let's keep watching it. And it does get a little better, but it's, I thought it was 
pretty. I liked him. I thought, why does he have to do this? Like, he doesn't have to do that kind of role, you know, but I thought uh, he really went for it. Well, he did, but I think <clears throat> the, the rest of the acting in the film is pretty bad. And Paul yeah. thought, why does he have to do this? <laughs> <laughs> the, the directing is pretty bad. It's a Chinatown knockoff. Yeah. Like, and, and it's just... That's it. You're out, Patrick. No more, no more Paul Osborne movies asked. for you. What about, and you didn't like 1917 either, did no, you? No, I loved it. Oh, you did? Oh, okay. no, no, I, I loved it. I loved I, it. My father and I watched it, and he was like, I felt like Terrence Malick had wandered. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's riveting. It's riveting. It's beautiful. It's a little clean. It's a little clean. But, but it, it's a great film. I mean, that, like I said, I saw the screener, and I was like, I have to go see this on the big screen. It's, it's, it's great. Just I, to look for cuts. Well, there's dr- <laughs> yeah, right. the drama. There's the drama. Well, there there's is, the tension. There suspense. is one cut in there the film. There is one. Maybe two? I don't know. No, no. There's a, an intentional cut where he gets knocked out. Right. Yeah. Right, and, right, right. And, and so we, go to, we cut to black, and we yeah. cut back. So it's like... Daytime. It's, I think not, the other, what, not, it's not hiding an edit there. Right. <laughs> I think the other cut is when he's in the back of the truck, and it gets stuck in the mud. I think there's one shot... There was one there. Where the screen gets all black, because... There's yeah. no way they could. Well, when they they take, first go the into the bunker, the whenever they walk inside something, yeah. Yeah. when they walk into the get light orders, changes, they when can... they walk into yeah. So there's the all this excitement and, and drama, coupled with how the hell did they do that? Just makes yeah, that movie I, so interesting. That's I thought, but they talk about the technical achievement. I thought the acting was really great. That's I did too. And I, I knew those guys would be forgotten too. I said there's going to be so many people go. Oh, the screenplays. The screenplay was great. They were great. And you know? they and they carried that movie on and, their shoulders. And mm-hmm. people were, and it's an original thing, by the way. It's based on the stories they would hear from like their great grandfather. Yeah, from the war. That you get a whole taste of that war through the eyes of two guys on the ground, ground level. And I thought that was terrific. Yep. Well, we, we could talk movies all night, and we probably will at a diner after yes. this. But <laughs> I do have one last question. We ask it of everyone who comes on the show. We've talked to you about it before. Yeah. What is your favorite movie of all time, Patrick? Now, we let's just recap yours real quick. It's still Raiders of the Lost Ark. Raiders of the anything? Lost Ark. Yes. Yes. You may think I'm lying, but it might be the Blues Brothers. Oh, I wouldn't it could think definitely that. be the Blues Brothers. That is a great I'm a huge movie. Blues Brothers fan. There's a, a friend of ours in WGN who does a show, Justin Kaufman, in Chicago, and they're voting on the best Chicago movie. They narrowed it down, I think, to Ferris Bueller and Blues Brothers, and that is a Sophie's Choice. It's quite a good, yeah, yeah. that's a list. Here's so a, I don't know what one. I'm going to check it what's out. what's interesting is I am not a fan of musicals. But that's another. It's another level. Call it a musical. Yeah, to me, I never even really saw it as a musical. I just saw it as this, you know, like an event. It's an it's an epic piece of big screen cinema entertainment, and still works today. Stands the test of time. And have you seen the Blu-ray? I think it's like an extended cut. I did. I have the Blu-ray. Yeah, I have the Blu-ray too. But it has. I mean, it's it's it contains, inarguably, the greatest car chase of all time. Yeah, yeah. You can't. Okay, like, oh, the French action. You know, French action is a great car chase. I'm sorry, the Blues Brothers car chase the is better. Car, yeah, the car. You broke my watch. Come on. It's the, yeah. it's the, <laughs> the greatest. Car to- the car crash sucker. total is just so much higher in Blues Brothers. It's, it's a half an hour of the movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And all set to Sweet Home Chicago. The years of excessive violence against the Blues Brothers have been approved. I mean, it's just. As soon as I hear. I'm like, here we go. They're off to the races with the carnage. You cannot. And Steven Spielberg's cameo. Yep. Frank Oz. Frank Oz. (laughs) One One unused prophylactic. One soiled. soiled. (laughs) Landis, uh, I mean, he had a run, a real good run. He's not that old. No, he's still directing. But he was really young when he started. He's only like 60. And I was like, come back, dude. I was lucky enough to to, uh, work with him on a commercial one time. No shit. And I was like, you know, because I'm such a fan, and I never told him that. But, uh, yeah, it was just so interesting to see that. He's just a mile a minute. He's just talking, yeah. talking, talking, talking. Talk, 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 but he's you know. made some really, I mean, 
people don't talk enough about how inventive his movies were because they were like the Blues Brothers is an action film, a musical, a comedy, and it's m- more than the sum of the total of the three genres. You know, you have American Werewolf in London, which is the first film to really combine belly laugh comedy, comedy with and, horror. and horror. I mean, the guy started a genre. has a ghoul yeah. ghost telling him to kill himself the entire film. Yeah. And, and we're laughing about it. And we're laughing about it because he looks because he goes, you look like a meatloaf. There's uh, Into the Night's another one that people don't talk about it enough. And it's, that's a, a, a terrific, violent, incredibly dark comedy. I like he really found ways to subvert genres and invent things. And there's something stately about his comedies too, like trading places from the score to the just the presentation of the credits to everything. The, yeah, yeah, it's very cinematic. Yeah. And yet the, the comedy's just off and the chart. And not a wasted moment. Yeah. You know, you're just you're on that ride. All right. Well, that uh, that wraps it. That's all I got, Jess. Oh, that wraps the other TMG interview. Uh, let's go follow buy us. <laughs> What's that? Let's go buy a piece of pie. Let's do it. Uh, follow us on Twitter at the Movie Guys, Facebook.com slash the Movie Guys, and uh, as well as uh, YouTube, uh, Instagram, all that other nonsense for daily jokes, articles, media links, and more. Thanks to Paul Osborne and Patrick Day. Cruelheartsmovie.com. And what other plugs are there? Conspicu- conspicuous conspicuous pictures. Conspicuous is our is our website where you can find all things Cruel Hearts. Is there personal social to plug or no? Uh, sure. Well, you can follow uh, Cruel Hearts Movie on on Facebook, uh, which actually you also you can find everything. I'm uh, on Facebook as Paul Makes Movies. I'm on Twitter as Paul Makes Movies. I'm on Instagram as Paul Makes Movies. I am basically Paul Makes Movies pretty yeah. much every social media platform. I might even be on LinkedIn as Paul Makes Movies. I'm not sure. Oh, we better I, I never go. Going. I never go to LinkedIn. I'm all, I, have I go account. once a year. I friend everyone who friended me, and then I wait a year again. Literally, I I've, I've logged in <laughs> twice in like five years or whatever. It's been around. And Patrick, plug your social media. You, uh, I'm at Pactoric, Patrick with actor in the middle on Instagram. I don't know what else I have. Oh, oh your Dharma bum. That's right, everybody's Dharma on bum Instagram. Double O Seven at uh, Twitter. Yeah, and then uh, Facebook and all. And you Patrick. Stuff. Are you Patrick? I think Patrick, Patrick Day, Day on I Facebook. I should know these things. Yes, on Facebook. Yes, yeah. you should. Or Patrick W Day, maybe. I should know these. I wonder why you're not famous. You <laughs> Search Patrick Day. See what you come yeah. up with. I, I, made him, I made him get a, get a Twitter. I'm like, get a Twitter. He's like, Dharma Bomb 007. like, I want one where they can find you. Yeah, I blew that one. So. <laughs> uh, and as ever, you can find everything we're up to, including reviews, articles, and uh, more interviews like this one at themovieguys.net. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, movie guys. Thank you, movie guys. Thank you, movie guys.